0: Welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food, domestic history. I'm
1: Liz, and I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and who love history and crafts and food and things. And we often like to start off by talking about what we have been making and/or baking recently before we get onto the main topic. So, uh, how have you been doing? What have you been up to um, over the festive period? Yeah, it's, it's been a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been a bit. We took a little festive break. Um, So I would say we're back energised and fresh and ready for the new year, but I don't <laughs> think that's the case.
0: Yeah, we, we've both been ill to various extents. Yeah. <laughs> I've had my first week back at work of the new year. Hazel didn't have the time between Christmas and new year off. No. Um, but we're I... here and we're ready.
1: I we say coughing. And we have some history
0: (laughs) yeah oh we have a history (laughs) (laughs) i regret that um you do also have a history (laughs) but yeah i i did some stuff i finished the corner to corner blanket i because we when we go to see nick's family which we did this year for christmas i Mm -hmm. always take some sort of baked item um, the first time it was to ingratiate myself and now it's just kind of what I do. So it worked. hmm So I made a rum, raisin and chocolate cake, which by weight was about a quarter demerara rum. That's a boozy cake. It's a very boozy cake. It went down very well. Especially considering you don't drink. No, I like I like the sort of the smell of rum and the the non-alcohol part of the taste of rum, which mm-hmm. I guess is just the taste of like molasses. Yeah, it's a sweetish. I like yet. I like treacly things. Mm. So I got to enjoy that that part of it, but I only had a little bit because I wasn't convinced that all the alcohol would would have cooked out. I just by the sounds of it, I'm not convinced either. <laughs> I think but... if it did, the cake would have sunk. I'm glad it went down well. It went down very well.
1: <laughs> also i like the way you just like just just casually finished a blanket just slip that in there
0: <laughs> well i was really proud because um, because it's it's like a big thing and obviously it was part of stash busting i got it in my head that i wanted to finish it before the new year uh, yeah. and then i did congrats so now i have new stash busting projects is it also a blanket it's not, I mean, there's the hexagon blanket, which is eternal. Ah, uh, yes. It's been a while. Um, because it just takes forever to make it a double blanket size. But I'm currently doing, I'm doing a jumper, because I have some black and some purple sparkly yarn, so I'm doing a stripy jumper.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm doing some gloves for Nick, because Nick needs gloves.
1: Oh, I remember your very first blanket.
0: Oh yeah, that was that was a patchwork one, wasn't it? Was you named it Lucifer? If I recall, I did because it took forever. It was hellish, (laughs) and I learned to crochet just to do a nice border on it. It's still somewhere in the house, but I think it got mothed quite badly.
1: Oh no! I remember the. I think you finished it at like a one of the knitting society meetings at uni, and then just spread it out on the floor, and like we all just kind of rolled on it.
0: I think there's a picture somewhere on my Facebook of you wrapped up in it like a burrito. In celebration.
1: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so. um, said, What have you been up to? I have been up to a bit. Um, Been working on my quilt, which is also eternal, but I will try and get a picture of where it is now because it's coming along. Um, and yeah, I'm doing a bit of knitting as well. Um, which is also is not a new project. It's the shawl that I started a while ago, which is um, hand spun. Oh, uh, I think there's a picture at the beginning of that on my Instagram. But um, I haven't entirely finished spinning the wool yet, <laughs> so we'll see if I catch up to um, where how much yarn I have before I finish spinning it. But I couldn't wait because
0: it's good. Uh, And you're you're then you're pretty confident that you will have enough.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I bought two hundred grams of each color, so it's definitely enough. (laughs) It's a, a Stephen West pattern, and he's known for designing like gigantic shawls. Oh, nice. So. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'll have enough. But if not, the great thing about the spinning is that I can always just make more of the yarn. (laughs) Um, So if that is an endorsement to try spinning, I don't know what is. Um, And then I did also, uh, I think I mentioned that I was going to try making the Swedish saffron buns, like the Christmassy ones called Lusikata. And I did, I made them for breakfast on Christmas morning and they were delicious. And I have a picture of that, which I would put on the Tumblr. Um, nice. I, I I even um, did the second prove in the fridge overnight so that they could be baked fresh on Christmas morning. And it works. Oh my
0: gosh, they, they were amazing. I love that. That was, yeah. was that second in the bread poll? It was definitely high up. I can't remember, but yeah, yeah. I think,
1: I think there were a, like a few Swedish voters in that, were there?
0: yeah the the Swedish side of Tumblr just <laughs> piled on to everything that that was that was one of the the candidates in
1: It really came through. Um, I'm, I'm but they could it. not defeat Nan. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh if I can find remember the recipe I used, I'll share it as well because they were really good. Um I don't think it was like the proper hardcore version because I on the like visit Scandinavia website there was one where you have to like it it just seemed quite difficult <laughs> like there was a lot you had to do and it was like multiple days or something um oh no,
0: this, this oh was... i might have to look this up i love a, a multi day bake yeah
1: um so i don't know how traditional the recipe was but they were delicious <laughs> um yeah so keeping on the festivities theme um this one's gonna be fairly casual because of the week that i have had <laughs> um possibly the two weeks that i have had um but um it's a fun one um so it might sound a bit rambling but hopefully, hopefully we will have fun i wanted to talk about sequins oh um, uh, given that it's just been new year and you know people get out in their shiniest clothing.
0: I will um, say, I went to a drag bar for New Year's Eve. There were a lot of sequins.
1: Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like one of the shiniest places you could possibly be. It was pretty um, shiny. I I wore a sequin dress, um which I got a few years ago in a secondhand shop in my town, and it's like a, it's a. 1980s pretend 1920s kind of
0: thing oh ahistorical flappers yeah
1: it's it's a powerful
0: look is the thing is an ahistorical flapper it
1: is like it it kind of looks like a ish like a flapper dress but it has like the
0: power sleeves You realize so i need a picture of this
1: i will i will find one um because it's fantastic <laughs> and but it is um the sleeves are like proper sequined and then the body is beaded but it's beaded all over so it's not really a sitting down dress. <laughs> and i'm always kind of worried that bits are gonna fly off so um when I went to a party that was like two minutes away from my house. So we came back for a snack break after midnight and I did change into a dress that was a little bit more practical for dancing. <laughs> um but yeah, still one of my favourite pieces of clothing that I own. I'll try and find a picture of it. But yeah, so yeah, about the sequin. Um because there's a surprising amount on it. Like seems quite simple, right? Little little flat disc that is shiny. Um but they're actually a very very popular sort of throughout history. And um yeah, for such a, a little trinket they have an interesting story. So I'm gonna start with a picture actually. Um and this I'll put on the Tumblr, but it's of a 1930s evening dress and it's from the collection of the V&A
0: we, we love the V&A
1: yes uh, if you go on the V&A website that's Victoria and Albert museum you can search their collections um it's like a fashion and design museum and um yeah they have a really good search you can like sort by date and materials and all sorts um,
0: oh it is Purple and green, like, candy
1: stripes. Yes, and it's covered in sequins. Um, now, sequins were historically made of metal, uh, because metal is shiny, but that makes, if, if you're wearing a garment that is heavily sequined, that makes it quite heavy, right? Mm-hmm. And, um... That was usually the case until a new type of sequin was developed in the early 20th century. And those were made of gelatin. Jelly
0: sequins? Jelly (laughs) sequins. So So it's appropriate that she's dressed like a quality street. Yeah, I guess. So, like, yeah, that, that...
1: flat sequin um, pieces of gelatin, which were often um, painted with like lead based paint to make them um, shiny colors. So not very edible. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But they were much more lightweight, which was really good for the sort of flowing styles and lightweight fabrics of the period, Um, however, gelatin has quite a low melting point.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering about washing. Yeah, you couldn't. Because I mean, this is still a time when a lot of people are just kind of boiling a lot of their laundry.
1: Absolutely not. You couldn't wash or even steam them, because the moisture would make them disintegrate as well. (laughs) Um, In fact, you also had to be careful not to get too sweaty. Um, Or if you were dancing with somebody and like, It was a warm, you know, you're warm from the dancing and they have their hand on your back or something. Oh, gross. Or elsewhere on your body. Oh, Um, that's foul. You've just got a patch of, like, missing (laughs) sequins.
0: I love that they found a, like, decoration less practical than beetle wing casings. (laughs) Those are pretty cool. Which Um, I guess... Would that count as a kind of sequin? Well, apparently
1: a sequin is a round disc with a hole in the middle that is stitched to the fabric. Um, Okay, so it's very specific. It is very specific. If it's a disc with a hole near the top, that's a spangle. Oh. Yeah. Um, And then you do get other shapes, which can be considered sequins, like... I think mostly if they have a hole in the middle um there's a whole world here which I haven't delved particularly deep into maybe
0: maybe we need a follow-up episode maybe we do
1: on all sorts of shiny things embellishments maybe Mm -hmm. um but yeah the, the although there are many types of sequin that seems to be the definition um so yeah very revolutionary and lightweight and relatively cheap compared to the metal sequins um so they were used quite a lot in fashion like both couture fashion and like more emerging ready-to-wear fashions but um you absolutely could not wash these <laughs> they were also used on accessories so at least you could like take those off and mm-hmm. then wash the garment i guess um so like having a garment that is, like, like, an entirely sequined dress, I presume, is quite a status symbol, because, like... If here is
0: a dress I will wear once. <laughs> yeah.
1: Or, like, at the least, here is a dress that I have the time or I have the people to, like, keep in good condition without using traditional
0: cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't suppose there's any information about the owner of the dress in the V&A. This particular one, um,
1: I let me have a look. Um, it's from um, the couture house Main um which is out of New York, um, but French. Um, it was read by a
0: French guy. Uh, okay, so say... pr- probably not intended for repeated wear then um it it looks
1: like pretty much oh it's certainly not intended for heavy wear like <laughs> it looks like mm-hmm. as long as you can uh as long as you can wear it before it starts looking a bit tired or losing sequins all over the place although yeah. i don't know maybe you could send it back and have them like put have more put on. I don't know. Maybe. Um, That sounds like I'm just truly
0: fascinated
1: by this dress. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Yeah. Incredible. So those are sewn onto tulle, which obviously like quite sheer um, Mm -hmm.
0: and quite a light fabric. So you need very light sequins to go on top. Um, And That's going to be quite mobile as well, then, isn't it? Just for the effect of the sparkles. Yeah,
1: Yeah, very swishy. You know, you haven't got metal weighing it down. Um, So, I mean, looks pretty cool when you're dancing, I imagine. Um, But not the most practical. But if you've got the money to spend on a very fancy dress that might be ruined after one night, then go for it I guess um so those yeah the gelatin sequins as far as I can find out were made were in use quite early actually um like they there are existing pieces from the 1900s with them on um and they were used alongside metal sequins like in the 1920s so a lot of the like sequiny 1920s dresses had metal sequins um which i imagine would make them quite heavy but also kind of like i guess when you're dancing it's a different like vibe like rather than being floaty and swishy it would be kind of like
0: um you know like <laughs> i think i think i get what you mean especially when you think about sort of 20s dancing being quite a bit more sort of frenetic than yeah
1: so like thinking
0: about dances. It
1: kind of lends itself to that movement, like the shaking sort of move, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the flapping. Flapping, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they fell out of use for obvious reasons <laughs> on the invention of plastic sequins, mm-hmm. um, which in Different form we still use to this day. Apparently, a lot of them now are made out of vinyl plastic, um, which does curl after a while. Apparently,
0: yeah, I have noticed because I have a I have a couple of t-shirts that I still had it have from like high school, mm-hmm. so like over a decade at this point, where the sequins have basically folded themselves in half. Yeah, that can happen. Um... So, when, when did we start using plastic sequins then?
1: So, that was um, that the gelatin sequins sort of fell out of use towards the end of the 1930s, I believe. I can't imagine why. Exactly. Um, yeah, there, there was, um, I think, a brief alternative of acetate sequins which had like silver on the back of the plastic and they were like really shiny and reflective, but they were very brittle, so mm-hmm. they broke easily, um, which it was kind of the same thing that made them really shiny, <clears throat> but also made them not very durable. Um, but to be fair, the gelatin sequins weren't that durable either. So. <laughs> Although there are still, there are some of them that, there, you know, there are pieces with gelatin sequins on that survive. And like sequins in their kind of unused form, just as long as you don't get them wet or warm.
0: Things that famously but... never happen to dresses,
1: <laughs> especially when you're dancing in a crowded room. Uh, there is actually I found a recipe on how to make gelatin sequins because apparently they're used in sugarcraft quite a bit and like cake decorating. Makes um, sense. So yeah. Presumably it's...
0: without the lead paint.
1: Yes. Yes. Do not put lead paint on your edible <laughs> sequence. Um I think this one just uses like normal food grade colour. Yeah, it says to use like airbrush uh colour. But um yeah I'll I'll link that in case anyone wants to give it a go. <laughs> um so yeah that that was possibly one of the most fun things i found out <laughs> in looking about sequins um apparently the word sequin uh comes from both the arabic word seeker which means coin um and the word Secchino, which refers to a specific type of venetian coin um used during the renaissance period um and then that sort of turned into the french word sequin
0: so was, was that a kind of coin with a hole in it
1: not necessarily so coins have actually been worn throughout history for as long as coins have been produced like as far as i can gather um there's a lot recently um i've been reading um Yanina ramirez's new book femina which is about medieval women and um there's a couple of examples of amazing early medieval like anglo-saxon necklaces with coin pendants on them and the coins can come from pretty far away a lot of the time um a lot of folk costumes around the world also incorporate coins either like sewn onto the clothing or as necklaces or like belts or like headdresses Um, and yeah because of the use of the coins in trades they can get far away so like um, the historic Chinese coins with the holes in the middle um, because of the amount of trades that they were doing Um, can can show up relatively far away being used as jewellery or clothing. Um, In the Roman Empire, coins were used as jewellery quite often.
0: Um, And, yeah, so that... I mean, I guess it's kind of a a shortcut to conspicuous consumption. It's like, I've made a hole in this money.
1: Yeah, you can literally display your wealth. (laughs) Um, And even if the coins you're using are, like not from your country like it's made of gold or Mm -hmm. silver so let's it's just a big bead isn't it yeah let's put that where people can see it um (laughs) and then i guess it's useful that that it's also portable so you know Mm -hmm. you need to run away because someone is not very happy about whichever king you support um if you can take it with you Um. Yeah, so coins have have been worn a lot um, and that can translate to, you know, that becomes fashionable and then people want to emulate that but they don't necessarily have access to the fancy foreign coinage Um, and so you you just make something that looks like like a round piece of metal um, and use that as the fashion item um apparently specifically the like sequin massive sequin boom in the 1920s was partly uh fueled by the discovery of um the tomb of Tutankhamun, which um i mean there was a massive like mania for ancient Egypt at the time. I guess kind of like how the Vikings are super fashionable today,
0: yeah, um, and then I guess it comes into the the general sort of orientalism of of the period because they considered Egypt part of part of that mm-hmm.
1: yeah. so like uh, the rediscovering of this mysterious ancient culture and um that becoming really fashionable um, and so, um, there was a garment found in the tomb of King um which included, um, golden sequin-like metal discs being sewn to the garment.
0: Tutankhamun um, had sequins? Yeah! Oh, yeah! That's amazing! Oh, I'm so happy for him! Because, I mean, when I was a kid, I loved sequins.
1: Oh yeah, me too. I think, because um, like, I used to do uh, d- contemporary jazz dance, and I remember one year I was so excited to get this, like, it sounds horrific now, but it was like a blue sequined, like, one-piece bodysuit.
0: Um, I had costume. a red one!
1: Ah, yes! It was like a dark red. (laughs) I never knew this. This is fantastic. (laughs) Clearly we were meant to be friends.
0: (laughs) I wore it to school discos.
1: (laughs) There's definitely a a VHS somewhere of me on a stage. (laughs) Absolutely dancing my heart out in this thing. (laughs) Amazing.
0: (laughs) Um... Yeah, sorry, where was I? <laughs> I don't know, I'm just excited by the fact that we apparently owned the same outfit in different colours as children.
1: Yeah, where was I? Um yeah, so apparently that is one reason that sequins became so popular. Um, along with the kind of the art deco look. Mm-hmm. Um and they've been used metal sequins, um throughout history, but obviously they were a lot more time-consuming to produce in the past. Um, In fact, in order to try and uh, speed up this process, um, you probably won't see this one coming, a machine was designed uh, by none other than Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. Which um is supposedly for making sequins.
0: But I guess the real question is, was it ever actually made and used?
1: As far as we know, it was not made and used. Like many of the things designed by Leonardo da Vinci.
0: Just one <laughs> of his
1: doodles of yeah. very technical My drawings. Idea. Um, this is the sketch of the machine i'll also put this on the tumblr so i feel like
0: it's, the sketch is missing some key information
1: <laughs> such as how to actually build it and how it works mm-hmm. um,
0: yeah it's like a device um so i'm gonna i'm gonna try and describe this okay go for it so on the left we have what looks like two kind of Pistons um, Which each go through their own boxes down to what I think is some sort of opening And that's pretty much all the detail we get on that side <laughs> and on the other side we have a, a Set of gears which powers a hammer which hits something into a tube and down onto the ground into a little bottle-shaped opening. Everything is connected with a lot of, like, what I have to assume is chains? But there's no real information on... Just from the drawing alone, there's no information on what this thing is for beyond hammering something.
1: Yeah, I think that it being a sequin machine is a translation. It's what it definitely is is it like for punching things out of a sheet of metal Mm -hmm. um and presumably small round things so (laughs) and we know that at at that time um in italy sequins were being made um like commercially um so it's it very much could be, um, but we don't know if this is for, like, fashion purposes or something else. Um, it but, doesn't
0: really seem like his wheelhouse. Uh, yeah, I, but, but then, you never know. Well, no, but, like, most, most of his things seem to have a more practical application than fashion.
1: So I'd say this is relatively practical. I mean, it's the the most um usual interpretation is that it is kind of a a sequin making machine where you put in like a flat sheet of metal um and then it just sort of punches them out literally with the little hammer on the top there and i guess they fold out the big chute in the middle i guess yeah and then you just like collect them out of the little little box well sure revolutionary um <laughs> never made as far as we know Um, Items continued to be relatively expensive um so yeah that's that's all
0: I got for the moment, but it was fun, I hope <laughs> It was interesting. I I did not know sequins were so old um, or gelatinous
1: yeah yeah um if if you uh any anyone out there um is into vintage clothing and um you get, your hands on a sequined uh item from that era um, you might want to just check what they're made of because um yeah the ones that have the gelatin sequins require quite careful conserving (laughs) apparently
0: and also, if you had a favourite item of sequined clothing as a child, let us know.
1: Yes! If you've got any embarrassing dance pictures, please, please <laughs> show them. I- I'll show you your mine if you show me yours. If I can get a hold of them. I mean, I presume the pictures are in a box somewhere at my parents' house, but... They'll be somewhere. RBG ideas should be good, right? But what this podcast supposes is... Maybe they don't have to be. The Probably Bad Podcast brings you ideas like dire humans fight your GM in real life. And what if there is an eye laser man? Listen to the Probably Bad Podcast, available everywhere podcasts exist and some
0: places where they don't. So,
1: oh, that's what I was about to, to say. Local Lada. What have we got? I thought I would talk about durians. Okay. Um, I Yes, I know that as the stinky fruit.
0: Yeah, I would say that is what is known to most people as. <laughs> um, unless you live it, live in Southeast Asia, in which case there's a chance you will view it as that delicious fruit, which also doesn't smell great. I've never tried it. Um, I,
1: I have briefly lived in Southeast Asia, but I was never brave enough.
0: I've had a durian mochi. Is it good? It smelled like a used nappy. Okay. Did it it taste tasted it? kind of alright. Okay. But I couldn't get past the smell enough to have a second one. Okay. But like I I kind of see why people like it.
1: Yeah, it seems conflicting, because, like, I, bet quite, I met quite a few Southeast Asian people who, like, really were not a fan of the Durian, and then a few people who were like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. So, it seems very, either you love it or you don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I love, there's a description from Anthony Bourdain. Okay. Um, Who says, your breath will smell as if you'd been French kissing your dead grandmother. Oh, no. Um, but Al- Alfred Russell Wallace was a fan Who is that? Um, he was working on A theory of evolution uh, Very similar to Darwin's At the same time
1: ah.
0: And di- he travelled a lot Around Southeast Asia As part of okay. his studies
1: And was a fan of Durian
0: Yeah let me find I had a description His description of Durian Somewhere in my notes Um, A rich custard, highly flavoured with almonds, gives the best general idea of it. But there are occasional wafts of flavour that call to mind cream cheese, onion sauce, sherry wine, and other incongruous dishes. That is incongruous. But he also said the more you eat of it, the less you feel inclined to stop, and I have seen a lot of people saying that it's an an acquired taste. But once you require it, it's great. I I was not willing to acquire it. <laughs> um so yeah, so the durian is actually part of the mallow family, which also contains uh okra, cotton, and cocoa. No way. And obviously mallow. That's a lot of things which are not very similar to durian. No, and the the most I would say the most well known members of of, the fam- of that family are also um, New World plants. Although it also contains hibiscus, I believe. Yes, that is a mallow, isn't it? But yeah, is Actually, to be fair, cotton is Old World and New World. But yeah, the fact that it's related to chocolate, I just found really amusing. Because it's also a big pod with flesh and big seeds. Um, but you tend to eat the pulp rather than the seeds, although you can eat the roasted seeds.
1: Hey, That sounds like it might be a bit more appetising.
0: Um, so it's thought to have been domesticated probably in Malaysia, um, but is available all throughout Southeast Asia, as well as um, Australia it's grown there okay but i mean like i say i i had a durian mochi so like in the right shops you can also get it elsewhere if you know the right guy (laughs) and sometimes that right guy is the local asian supermarket um, so there's about 30 species of Durian, nine of which are considered edible. The main one is uh, Durio zibethinus. Zibethinus, Large. They are quite large. The fruit can be up to 20 centimetres in diameter. And then inside it, the seeds are the size of chestnuts. And it tends to have anywhere from 5 to 25 seeds inside of it. So you get quite a lot from it, but the, the pulp is the main the main thing that is eaten and is generally described as creamy, custody, but again with, with that smell as well. <laughs> um which has caused it to be banned in several places, including Singaporean public transport and several airports <laughs> in Southeast Asia.
1: I've I've seen a few pictures of like the signs with like no durian.
0: Yeah. But we, we don't 100% know what causes the smell. Oh, that's interesting. Um, there was a, a team at the German Research Centre for Food Chemistry um, used a mass spectrometer and gas chromatograph to break down the aroma. They found 50 compounds including eight that they didn't know were in durian, and four that were previously unknown to science. So the durian is a fruit of mystery. It is a it has a mystery smell. Will its secrets ever be discovered? I don't know, Um, but apparently, so one thing I found out is apparently there's sort of a folk wisdom thing, that if you get drunk while eating durian, you die. Okay, that's Which traumatic. isn't entirely untrue. Hey. Um, so it has an enzyme... Sorry, it inhibits an enzyme called aldehyde dehydrogenase, which is what your liver uses to break down alcohol. So... Alcohol can cause up in your body, can build up a lot more in your body if you're also eating durian. So if you were getting
1: like super drunk while eating it, you might die.
0: Yeah. And not as drunk as you think you would need to, oh. is the issue. <laughs> um, yeah, it can lead... Drinking what-, what would normally be a high but okay amount of alcohol while eating durian, can lead to uh heart palpitations. Oh and yeah, potentially death. Wow, okay. Because it just doesn't process the alcohol properly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> wow, that, that that fruit has a lot of properties. It really does. Um sorry, I skipped over a bit in my notes where there's there's <laughs> There's more. Um, well, there's there's the earliest known European reference uh is by a guy called De Conti. Oh, this is going to be great. You described <laughs> it as having a combination of flavors. Which, you're not wrong.
1: That sounds like it.
0: <laughs> I just love how vague... Of a description <laughs> that is. A lot of things have a combination of flavours. Like, I realized, 15th century Italy didn't have, you know, all of the fun flavours we associate with it now, but presumably it had enough foods that you could do better than a combination of flavours.
1: Maybe they just had nothing to compare. Or may- maybe he was being polite. Maybe, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, here is this very expensive fruit um, that we have sourced <laughs> from abroad, especially for you. What do you think? Oh wow! Thank you so much. It really has
0: a combination of flavors. In several places as the king of fruits Um, and actually because it can obviously fall from trees and is seen as this quite valuable thing Um, apparently in Malay the equivalent of uh, having a windfall so having an unexpected um, but defining idioms so having sort of Unexpected income, unexpected abundance. Uh, The equivalent translates to getting hit by a durian. Oh,
1: that makes sense.
0: So it's it's almost kind of more specific, because windfall is like when fruit falls out of trees when it's windy. Yeah. Um, But despite the smell, we're not the only animals to eat durians. Um, Elephants and tigers have both been observed eating windfall durians. Good for them. And it also shows up in um, Chinese food therapy, as well as uh, Malaysian folk medicine. For, well, in Malaysia, it's a remedy for fevers. Mm -hmm. In China, it has warming properties. And in Java, it's an aphrodisiac. So Uh a real, a real mix. A real mix of properties, but I mean, everything's an aphrodisiac somewhere is a thing that I've learned. Yes.
1: (laughs) We should start keeping a list of things that are aphrodisiacs.
0: (laughs) And then try all of them. At once. It's the pizza (laughs) with all of them on. (laughs) So that's durian, oysters, chocolate. (laughs) Chilis.
1: (laughs) Call it the love pizza.
0: (laughs) um so that that is the durian and i I do just want to include one more description of the flavor that i found which is um a novelist called anthony burgess Mm -hmm. like eating sweet raspberry blancmange in the lavatory
1: that's very specific
0: (laughs) so you know what i'm i'm happy that there are people out there enjoying this fruit but it's not for me i'll
1: try it at some point eventually just to you know, you you've got to you've got to try to make up your mind, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, next time we're in Man next time you're in Manchester, I can take you to the shop that's sold durian mochi. Okay, I I will probably get a different flavour. <laughs> that's allowed. <laughs> I've done my time.
1: Yes. Um, but if you like it, let us know.
0: Yeah, what is what is your favourite way to have durian? If you've That's tried it,
1: onions.
0: Um, so, if you want to give us money to buy durian mochi, we have a Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Bread and Thread, where you can get access to a Discord server and monthly recipes. Uh, We also have a Tumblr, which is at Bread and Thread, where you can find pictures of the
1: things we talk about on the podcast, um, teasers for upcoming episodes, and um, historical slash food and craft
0: related things that we just reblog and pass on to you. And if you want to suggest an episode or a local larder or tell us about sequins or durians, Uh, you can message us on there or you can email breadandthroatpodcast at gmail.com
1: thank you very much for listening